Hello, CCSC and all those who are joining us for worship. Uh, thank you. On this very first Sunday of 2022, can you believe it? 2022 has come. I'm Harold, one of the pastors. Uh, it is my honor and joy to bring to you God's word. I've been provoked to go back to the Gospel of John chapter 9. John chapter 9. I'm going to read the first seven verses for us. Okay, would you follow along as I read it for us? As he, speaking of Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. This is God's word so far. So we begin 2022, much like we began 2021. Feels like deja vu. Who could have predicted this? Who was uh, fully prepared for this? I don't know how you're feeling or how you're handling uh, when things are unsettling or chaotic and you feel like you can't ever plan for it or control it or manage it. Uh, and then things go sideways and seemingly goes for too long. The pandemic has evidently become an endemic. And even as I greet you virtually online, uh, as your pastor, I'm telling you, this is just not what I prefer. And, uh, you know, there's all kinds of mixed emotions and, you know, kind of resistance to this. Uh, the reason I come to this passage is there's two tendencies presented here. Two very dominant tendencies of what we often do when things go sideways. And especially when things go awry for far too long. Tendency number one is we go and blame ourselves for it. We get really, really angry at ourselves for it. The underbelly of anger at yourself is depression and self-pity. But we blame ourselves. You blame yourself. Uh, you know, you berate yourself to questions like, you know, what, what could you have done? Uh, what could you have done better to predict this or be more equipped to handle this? Or what could you have done to prevent this and be in a far better situation than you find yourself today? Tendency number one is to blame yourself. Tendency number two, also in this passage, is to blame the world. Blame the world. Uh, get really angry and cynical at the world. Uh, it's to say, you know, what's wrong with all of you out there? You know, it's to blame the system. Uh, blame this corrupt culture. It's to blame all the things that are happening around us. And um, it really, really starts to upset you. Two tendencies. But let me say from the outset, if you do either one, it's just a matter of pick your poison. Both are poisonous. You know, here the disciples, along with Jesus, walk by a man born blind. Hey, a disability. A lifelong disability. It's a, it's a, a lifelong suffering. 
And there's all kinds of reactions that uh, we offer, we instinctively have when we come um, or meet someone that um, we find makes us feel uncomfortable. Okay, uh, there's avoidance, there's indifference. Uh, there's, you know, almost willful uh, bypassing or minimization of it. Uh, there might be shock. Um, there might be moments of awkward silence, right? Fumbling around, like, you know, I don't want to, I don't know what to do or say. Um, some choose to really, really lean in, look and listen and learn as we as a church community have been learning for years. Um, you name it. This is what we often do uh, in response to anything that uh, makes us feel unsettled and uncomfortable. What doesn't happen enough is to go and ask Jesus about it and to get an answer from him. Uh, here, the disciples, their immediate question, walking by a man born blind, is a version of a perennial question, the perennial question of evil and suffering. And that perennial question is, if God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and altogether good, why does he allow such suffering? Why would he ever allow such evil to occur? Why is there suffering at all? Well, here we find, packed right into here, is the disciples got to ask, Jesus about this, uh, the God-man in Jesus. But instead of waiting for the answer of Jesus, uh, they throw out two answers of their own. Look at verse two, once again, here's their question. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents that he was born blind? These are the two most common answers and they are representative of two worldviews when it comes to suffering. It boils down to, well, whose fault is it, Jesus? Just tell us, I mean, just make it really clear to us. Whose fault is it? Uh, was it the man himself who was born blind or obviously it must be the sin of his parents. But we find Jesus denies and rejects both answers flat out. And he does not offer any easy answers. Uh, Jesus does not offer platitudes or cliches. You know, at no point in time in his ministry or in his life do you find an answer emerge from his lips that doesn't fit with real life, with individuals, with all of its peculiarities and nuances. Uh, Jesus never offers an answer also that fails to deliver true hope, real comfort, but let's just deal with the first answer that the disciples offer. Oh, it must have been the man, the man himself, uh, who sinned. It's his fault. Let's call this the guilt trip answer. Okay, I'm going to call it the guilt trip answer. Uh, guilt tripping often happens when you suffer, but it often happens with good people, you know, hardworking people. You know, you were raised religious. Uh, you're, you're moral. Uh, very decent, law-abiding citizens. So when things go well, when things go well, uh, you take the credit for that. You know, at least you think it feel you deserve that. Uh, 
you might be discreet about how much you're articulate to share that to other people, but, uh, you know, when things go well, it's like, yeah, sure. I mean, that's what should happen to someone like me after all the work I put in and, uh, you know, all the sacrifices I've made and all the blood, sweat and tears. And so, you know, you, you feel like you're on top of the world. You have a lot of confidence. You know, you call this very high, high self-esteem. There's bravado and uh, pride that comes with that when you accomplish or succeed in this or that. Um, let me stretch that a little bit further. You see, so when you are doing well, uh, you go on a God trip. So you go on a God trip. Um, you deserve that, that to happen. The glory and the honor and the credit, uh, you know, really belongs to, to you. However, inevitably, when things don't go well, things fall apart, Setbacks happen, shocking things happen, disappointment, and suffering starts to creep in. Or maybe sometimes suffering just completely intrudes. Um, what do you do then? I now suggest those of you who are used to being on a God trip, meaning taking credit for things go well, when things don't go well, you go on a guilt trip. Uh, you actually go on a, a bender a bender of guilt, loaded with uh, massive dosages of humiliation and shame and what you might call crushed self-esteem. You know, after all, you've been thinking and telling other people, look, uh, you know, if you get sick, it's obviously because you were careless. You weren't as careful as me. Um, if you didn't make it at work, you haven't been promoted, or if you're poor, uh, you must not work that hard. Uh, if certain things didn't work out in your life, uh, it's because you didn't do what I did, frankly. But when you yourself find yourself in situations of suffering or fallout, massive guilt, massive loads of guilt start to weigh down upon you and you start to guilt trip. Now, the guilt trip answer has much value, of course, in truth for people who may not be working at all or trying or praying at all. But this guilt trip answer is far from the answer that Jesus offers for every person who suffers. That's the first answer. That's the first worldview that the disciples throw out. Here's the second on the flip side. And I'll call this a more psychological, therapeutic, more popular answer of our day. Uh, it's the one that bucks the morality and the traditions and the religious worldviews of the past. It turns guilt tripping into blame shifting. Blame shifting. So the second tendency, the second answer is not guilt tripping, but it's to blame shift. Blame shift. Uh, you know, with each new generation, um, yeah, there, there's plenty to call out and critique and blame uh, with generations before us and after us, of course. Uh, you know, when Cobra Kai, I only saw season one, came out on Netflix. Uh, I watched it with my girls and I really honestly can't, I could not help myself, but just laugh. I mean, almost riotously. I was almost sweating because some of it was so funny, but my girls turned to me and said, you know, dad, dad, I, did you used to joke like this too? Because <laughs> it's awful, dad. Uh, some of that language and some of the jokes are, uh, abusive and, and toxic and 
they're hateful and you know there it was stuck caught uh because it cobra kai is like a comedic time capsule of my generation growing up and yes yes indeed looking back and now seeing all that we have uh learned and progressed in, in a lot of different good ways um my generation has a lot to be embarrassed about a lot to deconstruct and uh, it's become outdated ah but you know you just wait and see that hasn't been just happening for my generation with every new generation it's just a matter of time that we become outdated and embarrassing to the next generation you know here's the thing about blame shifting blame shifting blame shifting other people for really all of our problems and all of our issues uh it's too easy to do first of all it's too easy because you're always going to find someone to cancel or blame also yes blame shifting uh, makes you feel better makes you feel better for a bit but it actually won't ever make you better and it will make the world a better place if all you do is blame shift and always see that the problem is somewhere out there, never in here. It's never actually going to make you better. You're just only going to continue to swim in the currents of all that anger and rage and blame. Two tendencies, two answers thrown out by the disciples of Jesus. Guilt tripping or blame shifting. Now, does this ring a bell? Um. Aren't there platforms and parties and propaganda machines, algorithms even, that are dedicated to one perspective or the other? You know, one side blares out, take responsibility. Take personal responsibility. It's your fault. Blame yourself. Blame your dysfunctional family. Blame that absentee father. Uh, blame black on black crime. So goes one answer. Uh, the other answer would say, uh, now the problem is, you, you know, it's really your failed parents, your failing uh, uh, parenting strategies of the generation before. Um, blame the entire uh, government. Blame the entire uh, systems all around us and about us. Uh, blame the church altogether. And don't you see this kind of divide more brazen and apologetic and unapologetic? And to make matters worse, people try to corner Jesus into one ideological camp over and against the other, beginning with his own disciples and followers right here. See, again, the question is, Jesus, Rabbi, Rabbi, did this man sin? Was it his fault or was it his parents? Is it personally my fault, personal responsibility? Should I be angry and only blame myself or should I be angry and blame the world? Come on, Jesus, just break it down. Tell me, make it nice and easy. But here's his answer. His answer is neither. And instead, Jesus offers a third answer, a third answer instead. Oh, friends and all those listening in today, you don't have to go for the rest of your life on a guilt trip or trying to sue everybody in the world. You don't have to just stay angry at yourself 
or so cynical and angry and disappointed with everyone else. You don't have to be suicidal. You don't have to go after everyone around you. You know, instead, you can become a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. Because to become a Christian makes you, makes you, actually, it makes you neither simply moralistic or therapeutic when it comes to suffering. It doesn't make you naive to never expect suffering. Uh, it doesn't put you in denial when you're going through suffering. And Jesus will never let you fall into despair because of suffering. Instead, Jesus prepares his disciples. He makes his followers more ready, more resourceful, more realistic. As he says here in John chapter 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. I mean, do you notice here in this passage, after these disciples throw out the two answers, two dominant worldviews, how Jesus rejects and refutes both? And then what does he do? How does he go about healing the blind man from birth? You know, those who are blind to varying degrees can see some light, can see some light. But Jesus here spits on the ground, puts, uh, makes mud with the saliva, puts it upon his eyes, which would have done what? It would have made the blind man more blind. He would have seen actually less light than even before. Then Jesus told him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And the man just simply obeys him. And because he trusts and obeys, he goes and washes, and he comes back with his physical vision restored. Later on in the same chapter, Jesus goes, seeks this healed blind man who is interrogated and cast out by the Pharisees, fierce rivals and enemies to Jesus. He seeks him out because Jesus not only makes the blind man see, but he ultimately wants him to see what Jesus came to do, what he really uh, ultimately came to do. You know, for you and for me, when we're going through this prolonged season, again into 2022, you see and sense less and less light. It appears like God is actually doing nothing to make anything better. And sometimes the only thing that you and I can do is to just trust and follow God, even when everything goes completely dark. Now, how can you do that? How can you trust and obey God, even when everything goes dark? Well, it's because when you see in Jesus, there were no easy answers for him. Jesus never took the easy way out. In fact, he took the most difficult one. Because in verse 5, when Jesus says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Well, the light of the world was snuffed out, blotted out. Total darkness fell upon him. Literally. Literally, darkness came down when he was crucified upon a cross. When he was absolutely, he, he suffered unto the point of death. 
And when Jesus Christ himself suffered, when he died, when he was crucified, what he was doing was he was trying to put down all blindness. He was trying to make the lame walk. He was trying to put down all evil and suffering to death for good, along with all of our guilt tripping and all of our blame shifting. You see, if you believe and have been struck that Jesus, the Son of God, came down to die for your sins, he came down to die for mine, you no longer have to go on a guilt trip. Listen again, guilt tripping is a form of God tripping. You're just tripping over yourself because you're trying to play God. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 reads and declares, There is therefore now no, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That means God can never, ever, 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 ever come after you. He's never going to come after you to punish you for any particular sin. Any sin. Or in fact, for the entire history of all of your sins combined. God because if you have put your faith and trusted that Jesus Christ is your Savior, He died for your sins, God, there is no punishment or condemnation left for your sins. Well, then what is He up to then? What is He up to then? He's never coming around after you for your sins. He's coming to set you free from all your sins. See, that's the work that God is always up to. See, when Jesus said, disciples, Guilt tripping, blame shifting, that's really far from inadequate. It's a lame caricature. It's a simplistic explanation. But what my father and I are really up to, even in a man born blind, is to display a much more marvelous, ultimate work that he came down to do. And that is not only to make blind eyes see. It's to set us all free from all forms of blindness and all kinds of sin and sickness. Jesus came down to set you and I free from self-centeredness, from outrage, all the impatience, the greed, the lusting, the impurity, the grudges, the despair. Guilt tripping stops when you and I both see, Jesus took it all, all upon the cross. You know, the most beautiful people that I've come to admire and been so blessed by in our church community, as well as in my family relatives, are those all the time are the very same people who have been really beaten down. Those who've gone through enormous kinds of sufferings and trials. Uh, those who have actually endured through things that most people maybe wouldn't make it through. But when they've emerged out the other side, the most beautiful, the most beautiful things emerge. You know, the strongest people that I know Ask yourself this too. Who are the strongest, most resilient people you've ever met? Bank on it. They're the ones that actually have felt their utter weakness and inability. But somehow they have fallen back, fallen back on God and still trusted and obeyed Him. Is that coincidental? No, it's not. It's God incidental. It's God 
at work. And for those of us who are just ingrained, ingrained in blame shifting, that's really what we're used to, that's what we're really about. Blame your parents, you blame your upbringing, you blame your surroundings, you blame those people out there who let you down so hard and so bad. And I wanna to speak to you about this. When you come to see what Jesus came to do for you, and what is it that he came to do for you? He came to take what you and I really deserve so that you and I get what he deserves. Jesus came down to get what you and I could never, ever, ever deserve. He came down to give you what he deserves. Uh, this is why in Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to return to it in a couple weeks. Hebrews 4 verses 15 and 16 reads this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. Do you know what those verses just told us? The first and only, the one and only, perfectly innocent victim. The one who had every right to blame the world, to blame the evil, to blame the system, to blame the government, to blame everyone else but him. He died an unjust death. He died the most unjust death to bring you and I into the courtroom of heaven before God to vindicate us, to vindicate you. Jesus never dismisses or disbelieves or downplays real victims. Of course not. Victims of abuse and trauma. Victims of real injustice. Because Jesus became one to defend and, to defend and avenge them all. But here's the gospel. This gospel of grace, it quiets your outrage. Grace is the antidote to your anger. How God deals with you in Jesus is the key, is the only key that'll set you free from blame shifting for the rest of your life. Because you can turn around and be gracious. You can stop blaming everything and everyone but yourself, but you can turn around and actually be more gracious because hasn't God been so gracious to you and to me? No easy answers. No easy answers. Jesus gives you a much better answer. Himself, his life, his broken body, his death, his resurrection. He gives you entirely of himself to you. Take, eat of him, drink of him, his blood, and may he set you free, 2022 and beyond. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel. And I pray that you would do this miraculous, powerful work, setting our hearts, setting our lives free from guilt tripping blame shifting from the poison that runs in both paths. Lord, bring us into your arms.
Hold us closer this year. Bring us to yourself as you humble and heal us. And Lord Jesus, may you be pleased and glorified as we fall into your arms once again. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.